All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you out here. Everyone's staying warm? Out here? Oh, doing all right? You're doing okay? We do have heaters aside if you need them. So staying, I hope you're staying warm at home as well. So great to have you. Uh, one quick announcement, just so you know, next week, uh, Front Row is available. You can use it. It's okay. Um, that, just so you know, for future reference. But uh, it's great to have you uh, with us here today. I know uh, this week was one of those weeks where we had, uh, a, again, some changes when, we, when you think of uh, with COVID and some of the regulations. I know a lot of us were waiting this week to see what was going to happen. And uh, I just want to say I'm grateful. Uh, it doesn't matter how you feel about all the regulations and how the government's been handling it, but I am grateful that even this week when they released their new uh, statement and, and said what are things not going to be affected, and one of the things were um, places of worship continu continue to worship as they have been, uh, and as well as schools can continue to meet. And so, uh, you know, I believe that schools are essential, but I also believe churches are essential, and I believe faith is essential. So uh, no matter how you feel about uh, how the government is handling things, I, we should be grateful uh, that we are included in that and saying it's essential that we keep meeting. I don't know if they feel that from a conviction level or from a constitutional level, but I feel it from a conviction level, so I'll take it. And, and so uh, I was glad I didn't have to kind of navigate what that was going to look like this week. And, and so uh, we're grateful to continue to meet. Um, Dom mentioned as we started just this year, I want to make a mention of this. We're only on Christmas Eve, we're going to do one service. I'm telling you this because we want to encourage you. We want to invite you to come to one service. This year we've been very scattered as a church uh, online, uh, and we'll continue. To, we'll provide a Christmas Eve experience online as well for those of you who, are, who will be at home. Uh, and those of you who have been coming and you're comfortable being outside among others, we wanted to just strip down the Christmas Eve message and say, let's focus on the simplicity of it, but let's also bring the church together. And so we're doing one service at 4.30. We're still going to do candlelight. We're actually going to have a stage and everything set up in our south lot there. And just picture this for a moment, If we, because there's plenty of room to space to have distancing and all that out there. But picture this. When we get to our candlelight por portion of the service, we are going to still do it. And you're driving down the freeway or you're in the neighborhood and you hear people singing about Jesus and you see the light on display and, and the hundreds of people worshiping together. So that's why we want to do it. Everyone, I know some of you uh, have all kinds of plans, so we're telling you now, uh, 4.30 will be done by 5.30. We encourage you. It'd be so great to see as many as possible to come out and celebrate Christmas Eve, one service, one church together. All right, got it? All right, yeah, it'll be fun. One of my um, favorite Christmas Eve experiences ever was uh, it was a service just like that. We sang about three very familiar songs. We were standing up the entire time. It was in the dark. It was in the shepherd's field in Bethlehem, so that was a little bit cheating, but it was just such a great time for us to be there and say, you know, you don't have to have this big display. What it can really be is focusing on what, how Jesus came in a very humble, simple way. So that's what we're going to do this year. Uh, let's get started uh, with prayer. Join me. God, we thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that, again, here in San Diego, though maybe inconvenienced somewhat, uh, we are able to be outside, 
We have great weather. We can be together in a way where everyone feels comfortable and safe. And, Lord, that we can worship you. And most importantly, we thank you, Lord, that uh, the church remains open. And we know the church isn't just a building or a location. It's a people. But, God, we thank you that we remain open because we believe that through your people, your life lived through us is the hope for the world. And God, we pray that we would be a church that's bringing hope to the world for those who are hurt and broken and longing for healing and longing for peace and looking for purpose. God, may we be a place and may we be a people who demonstrate that that hope and that purpose, that peace, that life is found in you and you alone. And in that great message of Christmas that's so familiar to us, the message that says that you came down to live and walk among us to give yourself for us. God, may that be transformative truth, even though it's so familiar. So we thank you for that now and and give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are in chapter 1, the same as the Advent reading for today. You know, as I was looking at today's passage and thinking about this whole theme, we're calling it the divine disruption, because the whole Christmas story is a story of disruption. It's a story of lives being transformed even unexpectedly. And one thing about me, um, some of you may know, but I, I actually love gardening. I love growing things. I, my house, I have a lot of stuff. I love growing the vegetables. Some of you have been able to eat from our abundance of fruit this summer or, and vegetables because uh, we grow enough to not eat them all. Uh, it's more fun to grow the vegetables than to eat them. But uh, so we, I love to do all that. It might be my Midwest roots. Uh, you know, in the Midwest, everyone had a giant garden in the backyard or side yard or something. Uh, I spent my summers working on a farm, so perhaps some of that is just in me. But I love to grow things. And, you know, there's one thing about every once in a while, I'll grow like a tree. I had a, this tree grown once in a pot, and I left it in there, and it, it actually traveled with us through a couple of our moves, and it, it was with our family for a long time. But one thing that happens to trees, if they're in a pot for too long, is they eventually get root-bound. The, tr- the roots kind of continue to grow, and they, they run out of space, and they start to grow in on each other. And at that point, the tree is, ab- is going to die. Now, there's a way to save it or to prevent it from dying, and you can pull the tree out and, and plant it in the ground, or you can plant it into a bigger pot. But if that's all you do, that tree will probably still die once it becomes root-bound. When you want it to live, you actually have to pull that tree out, and, and literally you need to bang on the roots to loosen them up, to, and, and essentially to shake them or disrupt them out of their environment they're in before you put them into a new environment where they can grow and produce fruit. I had something very similar to a tree. Sometimes trees that are already in the ground need the same treatment. I had an orange tree once that never gave me oranges. It would give me like one every two years. Anyone have an orange tree like that? Yeah, I know. That's like a, a California thing. Every once in a while you have one that's just like, nah, I'm good. And, and this tree, I finally said, I'm done with this tree. And it, was, it, it didn't produce again. And I said, I'm not even going to water it this summer. I'm not going to take care of it. I'm going to let it sit there. And in the winter, it'll be dead. I'm going to pull it up and put something in and, and rip it out and put something in that will bear fruit. That's very biblical, actually. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I left it there, and I ignored it the whole year. And in about February of the next year, this is when they would normally start uh, budding and, and, and having flowers. 
This thing had more than it had ever had before. And it produced, from that time on, it had tons of oranges, and it was this nice little tree that I left in my old house for whoever bought it from me. Dang it. But that tree, what happened is, again, the same thing as a root-bound tree, is it was shocked by not watering it, by not treating it. It goes into this mode where it says, if I don't produce fruit, I'm not going to have offspring, and the species of orange is going to die out. It doesn't think quite that logically, but that's how it works. And so sometimes when you want a tree to produce more fruit, you shock it in different ways. I don't recommend not watering it and trying to kill it as a way to shock it, but this time it just happened to work. But the point is this. Sometimes in our lives, we need disruption. Sometimes we need something that will beat us at the roots that are all bound, that's keeping us from growing, keeping us from experiencing and producing fruit and experiencing the life that God has for us, sometimes we need God to actually take us out of the pot that we are growing in and beat us on the roots and say it's time to grow. It's disruption. Now, I'm not saying this year is intentional to make us all grow, but let's be honest. We've been disrupted. We've been disrupted this year. And could it be that God is calling us, maybe as a church, maybe as a family, maybe as individuals, and saying, it's time to, so that you don't just keep sitting there, but I want to shock you. I want to wake you up. I want to disrupt you because there's something more I want to do in and through you and around you. And when I think of the Christmas story, I think of how so many people were disrupted how so many were shocked. It was God's way of waking up the nation of Israel. It was God's way of breaking into history, of even just shaking the religious system, shaking the political powers that existed, shaking individual lives, and literally shocking them and saying, it's time something new is going to happen. And and today we're going to look at a character in the story, which I think is probably the second most famous character in the Bible story, or the, uh, the Christmas story. Hopefully, Jesus is the most famous of the Christmas story, so the second most famous, and I think it's probably the second most uh, disrupted life in the Christmas story. Again, I think Jesus being the Son of God, existing in heaven and coming down to earth, qualifies as the biggest disruption. So let's just go ahead and say, as usual, Jesus takes the first place. But in this case, we want to look at the life or, or the disruption in Mary. And we look at Mary's life. What we want to look at then today is then what are the lessons we learned from how she responded to disruption? And then what does that mean for us? How do we change? How are we transformed? Because our disruption is going to be very different than Mary's. I think we could all agree. So let's look at Mary's life. And let's look at how she responded. Again, this was from the Advent reading today in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 is where it starts. We're going to walk through some of these verses and then Look at what is the application? What are the lessons we learn? But first of all, it starts off and says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So the sixth month here is actually referring to the story that was told right before here. Is the same angel went to uh, Mary's cousin. Uh, actually, to her cousin was Elizabeth, married to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple. And the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a child, even in your old age. So uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were married. 
They had no children. It said in their old age, I don't know what that qualifies for. Probably on a biblical stance of what old age is, you don't want to hear what that would be because that wouldn't make any of us feel better today. But so they were advanced in age, and they hadn't yet to have kids. They always wanted them. And the angel appeared to Zachariah and said, you're going to have a child. And, and he said, uh, how, I am not sure that's going to work. Like, how can I trust you with this? And essentially, he, the angel says, you're going to, you're going to, because of your doubt, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to talk until this child is born. You're going to name the, the son John. And later we find out, we know him in scripture as John the Baptist. He was someone, his last name wasn't the Baptist, but he was baptizing people. And he was uh, telling them, preparing their hearts for the coming Messiah. So this was all prophesied, predicted, and the angel predicted that. Now, in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So six months after that, now appears to, in Nazareth, appears to, in verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and her name was Mary. So we looked at that last week, kind of the the genealogy of David, remember, uh, definitely the most Christmassy kind of message you'll ever hear as we look through the genealogy, but we saw the descendants uh, uh, of Joseph, or, or how from David to Joseph to Mary, or and now with Mary, comes to her and says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now, I, I don't know. Let's just stop there. If you're just going about your life and an angel appears to you and says, greetings, favor one. I, I always thought this was interesting. Mary stops and, and it says she's perplexed at that greeting. I think I'd be perplexed that an angel was greeting me. But so she's kind of like, huh, that's a weird way to greet me for an angel. <laughs> and so I, I, as I read this story, I just think, how prepared was her heart in this situation? It's amazing that she's perplexed at the greeting. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Lost my place. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. In Hebrew, Jesus is Yeshua. This is a word related to it actually can mean t- means to save or savior. So there's already something about the name. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now this part, it's interesting. The angel, in predicting or telling Mary what kind of child it says, you will name this child jo- uh, Yeshua, Jesus, and he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. Now, first of all, right there, anytime someone in Scripture is called the Son of someone or the Son of the Most High, it's indicating that this person will have all of the attributes of who they are the Son of. So if I were to look at, uh, for me, if you said, oh, you're Ryan, the Son of Gerald, my dad's name is Gerald, you would say, okay, if I'm known as the son of Gerald, it'd be, oh, you have, when we see you, we see your dad. If my kids were referred to as, oh, that's the son of Ryan, th- their identity then would be, oh, they, well, they are representatives of me, and they have all of my attributes. So in Scripture, when it says he will be the son of the Most High, saying everything that we know of the Most High, in, in, their, as- in their understanding, this is Yahweh, this is the creator God, the most high God, the God over all the earth. 
He is the Son of the Most High, meaning this Son has all the attributes of the Most High. So this is a very bold statement. Some people say that in Scripture it never actually says that Jesus is God. But when we understand the, uh, the Hebrew worldview and understand their Scripture, this is one of those statements that you go, there is no mistake that the writers of Scripture are saying this is the identity of Jesus. And so he'll be the Son of the Most High and also says that he'll be of the throne, will give him the throne of David. This is referring to a, another prophecy about the Messiah. We alluded to some of these last week in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Essentially, it's a prophecy given to David and says, Your kingdom will be established forever, and you will have a descendant on your throne forever. So when the angel's telling Mary these things, the angel's actually referring to multiple different prophecies about a Messiah. Also, the Son, or, uh, the Most High, he will be great. This is referring uh, to Isaiah chapter 9. So there's all this Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, just flooding this statement that's given to Mary. So she answers, her response to this is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now notice her question here is really, it's, it's one of practicality. It's, okay, you, you want me to, to be the mother of the Messiah? Uh, there's one missing piece right now. So how is this going to work? Essentially, maybe she's even asking, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go back to my husband? Are we supposed to get married sooner? When is this child coming? So she's thinking very practical. And the angel says, no, this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. So there's this miraculous a thing that the angel is explaining to her. And behold, even your relative, Israel, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. So the angel saying, okay, you're going to have a miraculous child. Now your relative, Elizabeth, is also having a child. Miraculous, but less miraculous, because this is going to be through for real means. Except for in her old age, she's barren, and now they're going to have a child. And, and the angel says, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, behold, the bondservant of the Lord, or I am your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, this is a very familiar story, maybe for many of us in here. It's familiar even outside of the church. A lot of people hear of this story. Maybe for you, you grew up in a faith tradition where Mary is held in such high esteem that you know her very well. And so we want to look at this and understand what can we learn. But let me answer first things first. I'm not going to give all the details, but the first big question that we want to have some intellectual honesty and answer is this question of, seriously, a virgin birth? Do we really believe that? If you're new to faith or you're exploring faith, you might think, do I have to buy in on this to be a part of this? Because that seems a little far-fetched. And I want to tell you, it is hard to believe. Of course it's hard to believe. But a couple things to understand. First is this. This has never happened in history and never had again until this. This is the one time in all of history. And let's just take a step for a moment. If we believe that God exists... And God is supernatural. God is outside the, the, uh, the rules of the way we see the world. If God is supernatural, there's a spiritual world. I believe there's a spiritual world. And if God is there, then it stands to reason that God can inter 
act and interrupt in human history any way that he needs to or wants to. And so, really, the question isn't, well, if did, why would God even do, or did God do this, be, or is he able to do this? Because if God is real, he's able to do it. You tracking with me on that? I mean, it, it really comes down to that. If God doesn't exist, then this is a crazy story. And you just look at that and say, that can't happen. But if God is real, this is possible. The real question we should ask is, why would God do this? And then how did the first century, how did the first people who heard this understand it? Did they believe it? And there's a few things to understand, and that is the early followers of Jesus and many people who were not seeking out Jesus became followers and believed to be true. We find that a couple of the Pharisees, who were the most religious of all the Jews, one named Nicodemus, another named Joseph of Arimathea, both of those became disciples of Jesus. They were well-versed. They were trained in the Hebrew Scriptures. They understood the story and the prophecies, and they accepted this to be true. All of the early disciples, most of them were from Galilee, or they're from Galilee. The Galileans were actually a very religious group of Jews. Some people think, oh, they're backwards, they're fishermen, they're, they're blue-collar, they weren't educated. The truth is, the Galileans were known as way more religious than many of the, those in Jerusalem. In, I'm going to switch here. In Jerusalem, they had a lot of their politics were mixing with their religion. In Galilee, oh, we'll be good in a second. Uh, in Galilee, they were far more religious, far more committed to the faith. And so they all believed this to be true. And as they began to look through the scriptures, they said all of these things pointed, and the scriptures pointed back to Jesus. So one thing that you want to do when you hear a story like that, can I do this with one hand? We're learning all kinds of things in COVID world of how we can make adjustments. There we go. One thing you want to do when you hear a story like that is you want to ask, what did the first century people understand, and did they believe it? And the truth is, we find that they did. And they, had a, and they walked, and they lived with Jesus. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection. So we can't explain it from a human standpoint. So if you want to say, give me all the apologetics and explain the virgin birth, I can't. I can't explain it. It's unexplainable. But can we understand it from a scripture point of view, and this is how they believed it? And is God able to do that? Yes, he's able. If he could raise Jesus from the dead, he could have a miraculous birth. So there, there's a whole lot more to it. I can get into the nuts and bolts of language and, and how to understand it better, but we're not going to do that today. So let's just know that this is a, a unique story. So what do we learn from Mary and her response to this? Okay, ready for it? Here's the first thing. Look again at how she first responds. When the angel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was perplexed at the statement. And the angel said, Don't be af afraid, for you found favor with God. The first lesson we find in the disruption and how we respond to disruption is this. Here's the first le lesson. I want you to know that you are qualified by God's favor. See, one of the things that we often ask when we look at Mary's story is, What made her qualified for this? I'm not qualified to do what Mary did. Well, well I'm not. But you know what I mean? Like, we're not, you'd say, why would God want to use me? I, Mary, there must have been spe something special about her. God disrupted her because she was holy or she, she was pious. She did something right to earn this status. 
But her disruption came because God bestowed favor on her. And this Greek word here, when it says favored one, is only used twice in Scripture. And it's related to another times, other times when we see, oh, God will have favor on you. It's related to that, but this is a unique use, only twice. And in this case, it essentially means God is giving you favor because he is doing it. That's my English translation of it. He's saying, greetings, O one who God has decided to do something favorable for you, to pour favor on you. She's perplexed by this statement because she's saying, what have I done to earn that? This doesn't make sense. She might have been thinking, like, did I say extra prayers this morning? What did, I, I can't remember. Did I, I volunteered at Sunday school last week. Does that qualify? No, I said no to the junior high pastor, asked me to be a leader. So that is, you know, I'm out there. Like, what, what is it that I did? She's perplexed. But God decided to give favor to her. I believe that what qualifies us to be disrupted and used in the kingdom isn't what we have done to qualify ourselves. It's because God qualifies us. The other use of that word or that verse, that word is in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And before it says, God chooses us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And verse 6, I have this on the screen for you. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now you say there's nothing in there that says favor. That he freely given to us is the same Greek word that was used of Mary. God's grace has been freely given to us. God has found favor to give this to us. The only two times it's used in scripture, in both cases, it wasn't our work. It wasn't what we have done. It's God says, I want to do something in your life. So for anyone who's here this morning, and you say, well, you know, my life is filled with sin. I'm filled with doubt. I even doubt the story. Maybe you're filled with anxiety or depression. Today you feel inadequate for one reason or another. Maybe you think my past is too messed up. My future is too unclear. God won't disrupt me and use me for his story. This morning, what God's reminding us through Mary is it's his favor on you that qualifies you. You today in Jesus are just as qualified as anyone else in Christ to be used in God's kingdom. And he wants to use you. And he is the one who makes you worthy. Is that good news this morning? Anyone? Oh, amen to that one. Let's God stay awake. It's cold. The first thing we see is that you have favor with God or that you are qualified by God's favor. Here's the next thing that we see. Look at Mary's response. After the, after the angel tells her everything, what does she say at the end? She says, behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done according to your word. Now, I don't know if there's more to the conversation that we are not privy to. I kind of think there probably was a little bit more. I, if I'm Mary, I'd have a couple more questions. Like, um, are you going to tell Joseph about this little plan? 
you want to tell my parents about this plan? Uh, can you just give me some other guarantees here? Like, what, what do I need to know? It, it, there could have been a little more back and forth. I, I have to think that there was a few more questions that Mary had that Luke did not record for us. But just things, you know, that were very much like, okay, how's this going to work? But look at her final response. I'm your servant. May it be. May it be. The second thing we learn here is that Mary understood the lesson for us is this, that we are part of God's story, not vice versa. I mean that. See, if Mary thought this was about her story, it could have been like, well, Gabriel, angel, thank, thank you for this high honor. I, I appreciate it. But I don't know if you know, but I'm engaged to be married. And I've got a lot to do this year. I'm meeting with a wedding uh, photographer later this week. We've got to talk about patterns and bridesmaids. I mean, we've got stuff to do. So how about next year? That would be a better year for me to become the mother of God. But this year I'm busy. I, I've got stuff. So I don't know if that's how it went. But so if she thought it was about her story that she was inviting God into, that's a good way for us to start looking for all these excuses and trying to fit. God, when do you fit? When can I fit you in? Instead, she's saying, no, I understood, Stan, that this is God's story that he is inviting me into. And I believe after all those, that the angel uses all those scriptures to connect the dots for Mary. And she saw that and said, wait, you're considering me to be a part of we believe a Messiah is coming. We know the Messiah has to have a mother. You're, you're writing me into this story? And one of the lessons is if we start to see our lives, and we've said this too many times, if we want to see our lives of this is God's story and you're a character in it. This isn't your story and God's a character in it. You see the difference? In our teaching team this week when we were talking about this, one of the big differences is when we see it as our story and we invite God into it, then it starts to become God is uh, in addition to our story, not Lord over our story. But when we see this as the story that God is writing, it is his story. He is Lord over our lives, not an addition to our life. Tracking with me on that? So when Mary, her response is, let it be, I am your servant. Now, I want to make a side note here, especially for our young people or anyone struggling with faith. I believe this was easier for Mary because she was well-versed in Scripture. I believe when she started seeing these prophecies and the angel showed them to her, and she understood the word, she says, may it be according to your word. Is it according to the word of the angel? Is it the word of the Lord? She's saying, what you have said I trust because you're connecting it to Scripture. See, Mary had an understanding of Scripture. And for our young people, people, the high schoolers, college students, junior hires who are listening, maybe watching online, there are times in this world, <laughs> you know it because you go to school, where it's really hard to navigate what it looks like to have God as Lord over your life. And the more you can understand the Word of God and the hope that he gives and the promises he gives to us. You can find the strength to even say, okay, Lord, this is what you want to do. I'm part of this great history of you working in lives. 
This is not myth. This is not just some sort of mythology that happened in the first century and before. But you're part of the same story. And I want to encourage you, get to know the scriptures more and more and more. Be encouraged by them. Find yourself in that story. When we find our truth, when we find our hope on Instagram and in the amount of our TikTok followers, you're going to be very unprepared for God's disruption in your life. When you base your hope and your truth and your foundation on what the noise is on your social media feed, you're not going to be prepared when God disrupts and calls you into something. Be rooted in something greater. Go ahead and use your Instagram and keep making those great TikTok videos. But let your life be rooted in Christ, in his scripture, in his word, not rooted in all the noise around you. So lessons so far, you are, you are qualified because of God's favor. You are part of God's story. And the fi- final one we see this is this. Here's a lesson we can get. You will stand out when you follow Jesus. This is a little bit obvious, right? But notice what happens with Mary here. I, I mean, is there anyone ever been more disrupted than this? And, and next week, we're actually going to look at the life of Joseph, so I don't want to get into it too much. But what would that have been like? Imagine all the conversations she was about to have. A conversation with Joseph, conversation with her parents, conversation with Joseph's parents, her local priest. How do you explain all this? Her life was about to look very different. I want to turn, or ask you to turn with me just over a little, well, your page might not have to turn. In Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, he's presented in the temple, and there's this prophet named Simeon who sees Jesus being dedicated in the temple on the eighth day, and he says this. I want you to hear it. Simeon says, Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And at this point, he's holding Jesus in his arms which you have prepared in the presence of all the people to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his mother and father were amazed at these things that were being said about him. So this is a great start. Jesus has been born. Mary made it through the difficult time, the hard parts. They had the baby. Someone's prophesying, saying, no, this this baby is for the light to the Gentiles. This is a special child. Everything's going great, right? Keep reading. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This child is going to be a sign to be opposed. It's going to be for the rise and the fall of many. We see here that following Jesus can be a dividing line. We see that in following Jesus that you're going to stand out. You're going to be called to live a life that's different. We know this. Sometimes some of you are hearing this this morning and saying, like, Ryan, this is elementary. I get it. But what are the challenges in your life? What are the times in your life when you struggle to follow Jesus just because you stand out a little too much? I was surfing yesterday. Uh, actually, this was on Friday. 
and I was out in the water, and, and one of the guys who surfs, and one of the points where I like to surf is, a, um, he's actually a Messianic Jewish rabbi who uh, just has a place down in, in uh, San Diego. He likes to surf there, and he saw me, and he came out, and was like, hey, how you doing, Barney? And we were, we're surfing together, and, and another one of his friends pulls up, and he goes, hey, he's talking to his buddy. He goes, look, you're surfing with a rabbi and a, pa- and a Christian pastor. Isn't this cool? And, and I was like, it sounds like the beginning of a joke. There's a rabbi, a Christian pastor, and a surfer all hanging out together. But I had this moment where I kind of like froze up because when I'm out there, I like to take the slow approach to get to know people. And I don't usually lead with, yeah, I'm a pastor because that doesn't always go there. Doesn't always, but I think it, it doesn't always lead to relationship. But actually what was really interesting was I realized in me sometimes, like I just don't want to really stand out right now. I just kind of want to be out here. just want to do my thing. And my rabbi friend just took it from like, laying low to, and, and he didn't say it quiet either, so like everyone around, the 20 people around is like, oh, pastor, okay. And, and so, but immediately I realized sometimes I don't like to stand out as a follower of Jesus. But we know from scripture that we can guarantee one thing. When we live the ways of Jesus and believe the words of Jesus and they transform our lives, you will be different. The way you approach politics will be different. The way you talk on Facebook will be different, should be different. The way you interact with your neighbor should be different. The way you interact with store, people who work in the store, even the holiday season, even when they're incompetent, will be different. The way you handle your finances will be different. The way you spend your weekends will be different. The way you raise your kids. The one guarantee we can have when we allow ourselves to be disrupted from God, is that you will stand out. You will look different. Mary was told that this child is going to be for the rise and the fall of many. He's a dividing line. As we respond, I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. And the question for us is, what do we do about all this? I just want to give you a couple things that we see here from Mary. First one is this. Be open to the disruption in your life. Notice how open Mary was. I don't, I don't think she was looking for it, but I think she was prepared. So let's be open to disruption. Be willing to start off your day and say, God, how do you want to disrupt me today? Remember, as we began, when I said sometimes the pot that has root-bound, it's a root-bound tree needs to be picked up and broken to be changed. Do you need to be shaken from your environment today to be changed. Be open to that. Pray for it. Next one is this. Step into what God has for you in the everyday life. See, we are not going to have Mary's story. This was a spectacular story. It was unique. It was extreme your story probably won't be that extreme. But God has a disrupt, he wants to disrupt your regular life to show up in amazing ways. And look for it in the ordinary. Be open and then step into what he's already prepared for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I have this on the, sc- on the screen for you. It says, you are God's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared for you 
in advance. God has already prepared for you, prepared you, works for you to step into. Be faithful where you are and be open to the disruption. As Mary and Joseph did, as many others in this story did, to be open to what he has. As we end our time here, we are moving into a time of uh, communion, which we take together once a month. And hopefully you received a communion cup on your way in. If you did not, I think we have some in the back. You know, when we take communion during Christmas season, it's actually almost more poignant because the whole point of communion as we think of it is as we take the bread and the bread represents the body of Christ, it means that he actually lived and walked among us. And so when we take the bread, it's a reminder of his life, his words, his ways, his works, what he did. And that his body was broken for you and for me and it was hung on the cross and that it didn't end there, that he rose again. And so today as we take this bread, let's remember the work of Jesus. Let's remember the life of Jesus. Remember that he was with us and walks with us today. So let's take the bread together in remembrance of Jesus. When we come to the juice, Jesus said when he met with his disciples in the Last Supper, and he said, this, this cup represents the blood of my covenant, meaning what's going to happen as I shed my blood, it's a covenant, it's a promise I make to you that my work will be enough. And this morning, some of you maybe feel like you're not enough, that you failed, you've ignored the disruption, you've turned away from God, you haven't been open to what he has, and today he's saying, everything that you've done to rebel against me, I've taken care of on the cross, and I am enough. So when we take this juice, let's take it in remembrance that what Christ did for you and for me, when he poured out his favor on us, is enough. Let's take this together and remember God, we thank you so much that your work is enough. We thank you, Lord, for your life, your words, your ways, the works on the cross and through your resurrection. We thank you that, God, in your life, you are enough for us. And, Lord, today we're people who've been disrupted. May we be people who learn in the disruption. God, may we lean in and respond to you and trust you in the disruption. And Lord, if you're shaking us out of a life that's just mundane, stuck in that pot and not growing, not producing fruit, God, would you open our hearts to what you want to do to us, in us today. Change us and transform us. In Jesus' name.